Well, today we're going to um, worship our Lord. We're gathered together. We're going to love each other. We're going to love him. And we're going to sing our little hearts out. I pray that you can. I know sometimes we can be sad, but we still can praise him as this song will show. You may stand. I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. Working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name.
supernatural feeling. That takes something bigger than us inside. The children may be dismissed at this time. We're going to uh, have a great worship. I've already been encouraged myself when we practiced thinking about our world and how, how it has changed drastically in the last few months. Um, everything has changed. But these songs, I want us to very much listen with all of our heart and sing to understand our, our view has to keep on Jesus. I'm, he keeps redirecting me all the time. Just I, I get upset about something that's happening and then I have to keep looking. So um, today as we sing this, I pray that these will be on your lips even this week as we go through the week. So um, let's sing.
This trumps. Jesus trumps. We're going to go back to an old hymn that I love. And in particular, in particular, I want us to sing out verse 3, and you'll see why when we sing the words. truly trust you, not on feelings, because we will crash every time, but just on your truth, the truth of God's word, that you are in control. This earth and everything on it and in it is yours. 
even the bad. So, Father, thank you that you are Lord of all, and we ask today that we will hear from your word to ignite us, to encourage us, to convict us, that we may get our perspective right with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So please take, uh, take out your notes, and uh, if you'd like to follow along with notes, there should be one near you, and turn to the book of James chapter 1. Book of James chapter 1, and that's to the right of your New Testament. It's almost one of the last books in the New Testament. What comes to your mind? Let me just stop and let me reverse back. It's good to see Tammy with us today. This is Tammy Harvey, and um, Pastor Harvey is up there, uh, no doubt preaching probably about this time. And uh, it's good to see uh, Tammy and her dad was with us in the service as well. So... Uh, we are praying for you, what God is doing up there and through you and the ministry there. So praise the Lord for uh, that. Um, so let me go back to my question. What comes to your mind when you hear the word endure? You know, when you're going to your happy place, it's probably not a word that comes to the surface, right? It's not a word that you want to think about as far as is it that it's it's a loving and peaceful endure. Well, we're going to talk about endure this morning. Definition of endure, to bear without resistance or with patience. To tolerate or to suffer patiently. And there are things and th- seasons in our life that we go through that we have to endure uh, in a greater way than at other times. And maybe you're going through something right now, or you will go through something, and then it's going to have to be an endurance race. When I was in high school, I ran a cross-country um, race, first time ever and last time. God help us. Two and a half miles, and I didn't really practice to it. I wasn't ready for it. And so I ran, walked, ran, walked, st- sat down. I came in one of the end of the race, but I did finish the race. I endured the race. You know, life is like that. Um, there are times that we really have to endure, have to go forward. Now, when I look at that word endure on the face value of it, it is a negative word. But here now, if we were to ask James, Pastor James, First Church of Jerusalem, James what do you think about this word endure? Well, he tells us in the scripture, well, he said, and, and he might come back with us if we were to ask him that question. Well, I think of proving. When I say, think of the word endure, I think of testing. When I think of the word, I think of growth. I think of a maturity. I think of, of uh, joy when I think of the word uh, endure. Or wisdom. Now James was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write a letter to new believers as well with us in mind. And his pen flows with emotions from the deep experience that he had personally experienced in not only his own life and in his own family and his own friends, but the church there in Jerusalem. And then now hearing of the trials and the things that the different believers were going through that were scattered abroad in the world. So let's begin reading James chapter 1. I'll read one verse, and then we'll make some comments, then we'll go ahead and read all the way down to verse 12. So James, 
a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. And these were Jewish Christians. The only thing about the Old Testament, about the Israel had 12 tribes, and they were from these 12 tribes. So these are Jewish Christians. In the context, James starts off, and remember, he is he's the pastor of that church. He's the brother of Jesus, and he comes from a very humble position, and he starts his, his, his um, letter off as a bondservant. And you remember when James talked about this, that he ended up his life as a martyr? He was on trial for his faith, and he was dragged up to the temple because he did not. He endured the trial. He remained faithful to Jesus Christ. And as they threw him off the temple, he landed and uh, he didn't die right away and eventually uh, made sure that he was dead. James was one who died for his faith. Now, he only died for his faith. And the reason he died for his faith, the reason he could endure the trial, because he endured life. He was faithful in life, and so that he was also faithful in death. As we read the book of Acts during this time, as James was either the pastor or became the pastor right after what I'm getting ready to say, is that Acts tells us that after the martyr of Stephen, there was this great persecution that came upon the church. And it was so severe that the Christians fled for their lives to different parts of the world, away from Jerusalem to escape that. And they became refugees, different places and foreign places. And it was very difficult to be a Christian during this time as, as they were scattered. And, and so James sits down, inspired by God, and, and writes this letter with these individuals in mind. They were going through some very difficult times. It was a harsh environment to, to be a, a believer, to stand up and say, I am uh, of Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. Listen, if we were to take the book of James, and we just went recently as a church through the chronological Bible, but if we were to take the book of James when it was written, and we were to look at in the New Testament in a timeline of the things that developed, James would actually be placed in the front of the New Testament. It would be at the front of the New Testament. Remember, James, again, was martyred, and Josephus tells us it was about 62 A.D. when he uh, was martyred. And so shortly thereafter, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, is that James uh, becomes a pastor, and then he himself uh, is killed for being a follower of Jesus Christ. But in that, in that time before his death, he penned this book. Sometime in that time, he wrote the book of James. And the reason I say that, because as we look at James, is at the end of the New Testament. It's not in the timeline, chronological order. And the reason I say that is because I believe there's two things that are going on here. First of all, Hebrews in the New Testament is a bridge to the Old Testament. Oh, man, you know, when you look at Hebrews and you, and you read the Hebrews, it takes you back to the Old Testament, takes you back to the sacrifice, brings you back to Jesus Christ. And so, so there's this bridge. And then right after Hebrews is the book of James. And James is very Jewish. James is, is written to new believers, new believers that are, are Christians, are, are Christian Jews. And so he writes this to the Jews. 
And there's filled with quotes as we look from James and of the Old Testament. So, so James continue brings that as, as from the Old Testament and to the book of James. Now also, the end of the book in the New Testament, we have the book of Revelation. We know of all those terrible things that are going to happen and those things. And, and, and Jesus speaks of those things in the book of Matthew. He talks about it in the season when you see these things and those will be sorrows. And he talks about those things that are happening and, and, and at the end. And, and then James is, is placed right in at the end of the New Testament. And when you look at First and Second Peter, and you look at Jude, even in first, second, and third John, you look at the, that there is there is this this common theme of, of preparing and getting ready for for the the things that are getting ready to happen. Not only for those at that context of this time as well, but I believe divinely inspired for us as well as a church. So the book of James is strategically placed New Testament. The other books that prepare the church for the end season, the end times. Now, I say this not to discourage us as a church. God only knows where we're at in the time. I am not going to predict, but there are things that have risen today that cause us to step back and say, is this the time when Jesus is getting ready to come? Is this the season that, that is predicted that Jesus mentioned there in the book of Matthew? Is this the time of the beginning of the, of the actual revealing of the revelation to the world of Jesus Christ and the judgment upon this world of making this world right? So God only knows that. But here's what is helpful for us. Is that in our own life as we go through trials, consider James as a boot camp book. You know a boot camp. Some of you have been in the military. You know you've, you've gone to boot camp. And boot camp is always there for preparation so that you can be at a, a top-notch you know, fitness. You know, you can be there and you can do the duty, perform what has been asked of you to protect your country, to, to stand uh, in battle. So James is like a camp book, a, a book camp preparing us for what is ahead. And so let's go on as we read it in verse 2, and let's read on the way down. He said, my brethren, count it all joy. Now, this is an indicator that joy is the indicator that we're in the right spot. You know, when we can look at trials and we can rejoice and we can see something that good uh, has happened in, in the midst of it, like saying it's all good. And truly it is, as we just sang that song, as we think of God and what God is doing in our life, it truly is all good. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, different trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but that patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, it'll be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let no man suppose 
and he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass if its flowers falls and its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptations, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let's go back and talk about these verses that we just read. Why is God so concerned about us as Christians that we persevere, that we endure? Why is God so concerned about that? Again, James is trying to tell us that we're in a boot camp, that we're in training. We're being prepared for something greater. Write this down. What God is doing in the present is preparing us for his purpose in the future. We as believers should live like that understanding that what God is doing in the present, what he is allowing in my life, what, what I have experienced, he always has something. God is definitely the ultimate forward-thinking God. He, he, is, he is not just composed about, uh, concerned about what's happening right this moment, but he is thinking about our future and how he has a purpose and he wants to use us for his purpose. And so he is going to train us, prepare us, test us, prove us for what is ahead. God is always thinking about that. And so never forget that God is, what God is doing in the present is preparing us for his purpose in the future. Now this morning, I'm going to give you four benefits that perhaps would encourage you to endure. Uh, four benefits that, that would help us to endure. These are things that happen as we are faithful, as we endure, as we persevere as a Christian. Number one, fruit is produced when we endure. You know... <clears throat> If I was to go into a car lot and to, and to pick out a car, and, and, and the salesman would come and say, hey, man, that's a great car, that's right. but there's one thing about this car is that this car won't endure. I mean, this car is, is not very faithful. I mean, this car, it, it might get you to one block, and it might get you across town, and it might get you the next day, but I'm just not sure about the endurance of this car. And then the salesman said, but over here, there's a car over here that this car, it will endure. It will take you. I, I would get in this car and drive it all the way uh, to, when, we are, when I grew up in Kansas, we always said something like, oh, this car will take you to California back, you know. So, well, I'm in California, so it'll take us to Kansas and back, all right? And so, it, it'll, it'll endure. You know, everything in life. If it's going to mount to something, it has to have this, this endurance. You know, when you plant a, a fruit tree, and, and a fruit tree is only going to produce fruit 
If it endures, it endures the sun, it endures the storms, it endures the wind, it endures, you know, uh, the drought as well as, you know, uh, the deluge of, of water. It will, as it endures. And no one plants a garden. Expect the next day vegetables for our table. Nobody does that. We wait patiently. We endure. We experience the good fruit from our trials. This is the point. Is that we have to endure. If we don't endure, the fruit will be absent. But in our enduring, this is the process. This is a means for fruit in our life. James chapter 5, at the, at the, James speaks about this again in, in verse uh, 7. James says, dear brothers and sisters, I'm reading the NLT. It says, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. And he says, consider the farmer who patiently waits for the rains in the fall and the spring. And they eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. Remember the story of Job? As he endured. And he questioned, he caused God, you know, and you went through that process if you read the book of Job. And at the end of the Job, God rewarded him more because of, then he started off uh, in, in, during that trial. And he rewarded it. And, and so he had fruit because of his endurance. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. Luke chapter 8 verse 15 says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. The early rains would be in the fall and the late rains in the spring in, in Palestine. Then the harvest and anyone who had experience with the farming knows that farming requires endurance. It requires patience. It requires waiting. And we are waiting. We're waiting for a good, good father to use our suffering, our pain, our trials for good, for fruit to be grown through our trials that we patiently endure. We're also waiting for the coming of the Lord of the harvest because only in the coming of the Lord will the rule be made right again. And we understand that our world is upside down. There are things that we're experiencing, we're seeing happen that we've never seen before. It's not supposed to be this way. Uh, the world is messed up. It started when Adam and Eve sinned and, and has progressed. You know, we haven't evolved for better. We've actually evolved for worse. And at the end times, it, it gets the worst of the worst. It's messed up. The world is marked by sin and suffering and death. The world is marked by terrible injustices. And sometimes the trials we face in lives are direct results of someone treating us unfairly or unjustly. As a believer, as a follower of Jesus, we will suffer like Jesus suffered. Probably everyone in this room has experienced that same, at some point or another. We live in a world that is full of wrongs. 
that need to be made right. We live in a world where virtue is not always rewarded, where injustice is not always punished, where suffering sometimes seems random. This world is not the way it's supposed to be. And here's this. In the midst of all the trials, in the midst of what we experience, God promises good fruit to come out of our trials if we patiently, patiently endure. This doesn't mean that we become a hermit, we disengage in life, you know, that we know we were do what Jesus did or what Paul did or what James did. We, you know, we are to be faithful to follow Jesus. We're faithful to proclaim uh, the good news. We're faithfully to be our followers of Jesus Christ and follow in his footsteps. So let me give you number two. When we endure trials, listen, when we endure trials, we, we get better. The, the idea that James is presenting through the Holy Spirit is that, that these trials are going to raise us up, make us better, improve us in our witness as a believer in our character. Count it all joy when we meet trials of various Knowing, it's not feeling, but knowing these things, that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. See, in verse 4 it says, Let steadfastness have, it. steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. It's, the implication here is that we're not perfect. We're not yet complete. We still lack some things in our life. And, and James said that these trials, these tests, the, the language here is very vivid language. It's, it's the language of the crucible. A, a refiner's fire. That, that the testing, that the faith so that we'll be purified, we'll be eventually uh, moving to the progress of process of completeness and lacking nothing. The ideal carry a fully developed without defect. James here is after the full Christian integrity, the moral, not moral character, the Christian integrity. He says that our steadfast and trial will have that effect. Paul says in Romans, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. And Paul knew what it meant to be suffering. You know, the times, there's a list of things that, that he has experienced. He knew what it meant. He had, uh, it was the poster child of suffering. I mean, he experienced it. Knowing, he said, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And suffering produces steadfastness. And steadfastness produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There's benefit, there's blessing that proves us as believers. Those trials make us better. And this is why we need steadfastness. Because we're in a process. If you don't stay in the process, you don't improve, you don't grow, you don't mature. Listen, there are times that believers that we can get upset over some things, and some things can be just so minute when it really comes in the big scheme of things. We get upset over somebody saying something to us. We get offended. Or we can say something that, or, or hear something that somebody doesn't agree with us. And we can get, and, and you know, we can, we can hop around to churches, to churches, because we just don't like, you know, we get upset and we, and we go, listen. And the process of your growth is, is that you are planted 
And in that planting, you're going to endure some things. But in that enduring something, you're going to grow. Now we can go from one relationship to another relationship. Sometimes as in those relationships, is that, that, that we're, we're not learning something in that relationship. That we go to another and we just carry our baggage to the next relationship. And then we say, well, that's not working out. So we go to this next relationship. We're missing something that's very important for our growth. It's a process. Sometimes it takes enduring trials. God uses these trials to change our character, to make us look more like Jesus Christ. We've been purified from what is useless, of no eternal value. We are being transformed into the likeness of the perfect person, Jesus Christ. We are being made useful to fit into the purpose of God's plan. We are being set up through this process for rewards, for a job well done. This is what God wants for us. We're being raised up to give great glory to God through the process. We give you number three. When we endure, we receive rewards. I mean, if, you, if you're looking to receive rewards from God, this is the way you just be faithful. James 1.12, we, we just read it, that God blesses us now, but in rewards after, as we are faithful. I believe Paul was the writer of Hebrews, and whoever the writer was in chapter 10, verse 32, writes this, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Perhaps he was writing with these people in mind who James is writing to. Because remember, this is an early Christian book. He said, remember how you remain faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all who owned and, and all, excuse me, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. Imagine that. Everything taken away. And you accepted that role, that position, that situation with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. God has promises so much more than we can imagine. And he wants us to receive that. And so he asks us to endure those trials. Romans eight seventeen. And since we're his children and we are his heirs, in fact, together with Christ, we are the heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share this glory, we are sharing this glory, we want the glory that God gives, and we, we certainly do want to do it. And it says we must also share in his suffering as well. As we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, there is... The steps of a man of sorrow was acquainted with grief. And we follow Jesus, we will have those times of great suffering in our life and trials that will be there for us. But there is reward for this. 
1 Peter chapter 4. This is a great book about uh, uh, that's written right before a great persecution for the believers. And Peter writes and says, Dear friends, you don't be surprised at the fiery trials that are you going through as if something strange happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you're insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. For the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however... It must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, prying other people's affairs, but is no shame to suffer for being a Christian, unashamed as a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by His name. You know, when you say, I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, some people already, they just already put this wall, they already start thinking, and you already just feel... The, the negative energy that is happening at that moment. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And then you feel the tension immediately come into presence because you are, are, you are following Jesus Christ. You're, you are, are associated with the name of Jesus Christ. So the total reward for patiently enduring remains still yet to be seen. God says that He will reward us. And we're not sure of the great reward that will be in heaven. Verse 12 talks about a crown. But God promises that your patient endurance will be rewarded. I think that's going to be a surprise on who's going to be rewarded and how we're going to be rewarded. Let me give you number four. When we endure, listen, if there's no other reason why you should endure, it is because of this. When we do it influences others. Not only does steadfastness benefit ourselves, but more importantly, our choices to preserve affects the destiny of others. Listen, if hard times come my way and I cave in, what good is my relationship with Jesus Christ? If I say, you know, I believe in a God, He's the Creator, He's the, oh, He's all-powerful and all-knowing, He can do anything you want, and I'm following, I love God, and yet, when the circumstances come my way and I experience, they're hard and difficult. What good is that as a testimony to those that are around me? If I endure with joy, though, it gets attention you know, everybody. You remember Paul and they're in the Philippian jail and, and how he was there and they were praising God and they were singing those songs of praise and worshiping God in jail. There and suffering. And yet they were praising God. And the tension of everyone, including the Philippian jailer, uh, noticed that and believed in the God of the Apostle Paul. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, Always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is good news I preach. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained. So I'm willing, Paul said, or Paul said this to Timothy, he said, I'm willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those 
God has chosen. I am willing to suffer if it meant for others to receive salvation. So, so being steadfast is patiently enduring has its reward in others turning to God. So we are to endure in their benefits. It's hard to endure. It's difficult. And, and, and that's the rub. That's the rub. You, you say, yeah, Pastor Gary, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, you know, and, and maybe there are going to be some difficult things that are happen, not only in our life, but in, in the time to come. And I don't know if, if, if I'm going to be able to, to stand. And maybe you're right now and you're going through something and you are just thinking, maybe, I don't want this. I'm not sure I want to, want to suffer like what he's talking about. Like, Jesus, I don't know if I can handle that. Well, here's the good news. We can if we have the correct response to the endurance. And I want to share with you. You know, Chuck Swindle said one time, said that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. That's a lot of truth. How you respond to trials really matters. James tells us we respond by counting all joy and letting steadfastness have its person work. The steadfastness, what is it? It's bearing up under trial with courage, with fortitude, with staying power. It's staying in the midst of the trial with faith. It's keeping engaged and following Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? I'm going to give you a couple things here that's written right here in the book. Because James doesn't leave you. He said, it isn't, and this is the way God is. God doesn't tell you, so I want you to do something. And then doesn't give you the power to do it or tell you how to do that. And so in James, James says that here, I want you, I want you to go through this endurance. I want you to count it all joy. And then he says, here's how you're to do it. All right? Here's the how to. How do you patiently do it? Well, verse 5 again, he said, we're to ask God for wisdom. He said, if you pray this prayer, Here's the promise, and this is why you should know your Bible, because there are promises that if you pray to God, they will happen. Here's one of those promises. You say, if you ask God for wisdom, as you're going through this trial, He will give you the wisdom. He will give you the wisdom. And so the key to experience the joy through hardship is the wisdom from God. It's this wisdom. This wisdom is not the same as knowledge. You know, knowledge is something, you know, you can Google anything, you know, uh, you know, what, what's her name, Siri, is that her name? Yeah. Siri, you can tell us, Siri, and Siri can just about tell you anything about, uh, but Siri cannot give you wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. God can give us wisdom. Wisdom is discernment of knowledge, discernment of things. Wisdom takes knowledge and makes discernment. It makes it useful for good. And the greatest example of this, when Jesus Christ was suffering on the cross, as he was suffering with those nails in his hands, his feet, crown of thorns, he was suffering there. A great trial. It's so great that the night before he said, Father, if it be, well, let this cup pass. But nevertheless, I want your will to be done. And as Jesus was suffering, it certainly wasn't feeling good, wasn't feeling right. It was opposed, was opposed by his followers, disciples, and opposed, you know, uh, he was opposed 
of what he was doing by all those around him. But he was willing to do that. And the reason he was willing to do that, to embrace it, he had wisdom, he had discernment. He knew what the will of God is. He knew that this was good for us as he loved us. Stayed there on the cross. Endured the trials. Pain, suffering for our sakes. He had discernment of what was happening in his life. And it was for good. For our good. You know, God may not give you answer. Necessarily on the why you have trials. He may answer like Job. You know, he may give you... Something just, just to give you encouragement to go through it and just trust God. But if you ask, listen, my friend, if you ask, put a handle on this. If you ask God, God, what are you doing? What is it that you want me to know? What is it that you want me to know? God, could you give me some wisdom how to respond, how to go through this trial? God promises to answer that prayer. Now let's look at verse 6 and 8. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Don't be wavered, for a person whose divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown, tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world. They're unstable in everything they do. Did you catch that? So when we ask God, when we trust God, we're saying... It's not God plus what else, something else. We must ask fully, believing God will give us wisdom. We not only must believe in the existence of God, but that He is a holy, holy, holy God. And God that only performs what is good. And that when we are in the hands of God, that we are in the most loving care a person could ever experience. That God is a sovereign God and His sovereignty is good. A doubtful mind is not completely convinced that God can be trusted. A doubtful man approaches God's word with options to disobey if it doesn't feel good. And the doubtful man trusts is subjective to how he feels or it's subjective to human reasoning or human philosophy. The doubtful man has his allegiance to others besides God. He isn't 100% trusting in God. It's God and, and then he mixes something else with that. And when we do that, we're not loyal to God. We will, we will not be single-minded, as the Bible puts it. We will waver. We'll be pushed back and forth. And we'll be up, one down, down the other, up. As a wave being tossed around in the ocean. So we must ask fully believing what God will give us, that God will give us wisdom. He will answer that. And God and God alone will help us through that. And then we see an interesting thing in verse 9. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. A hot sun rises and the grass wither. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all their achievement. And simply put this. Your status in life means very little to God. It doesn't matter if you have poor 
You have a lot or you have nothing. The same purpose, the same favor is overall. And so it's important for us not to focus on what you have or you don't have or compare yourself with others who have or who don't have. You're just focus on how God is growing you, where you are, how you are. If you have riches, praise God. If you were born with a silver spoon, then good, <laughs> good for you. But if you don't have any silver spoons and you have a plastic knife <laughs> that you were born with, then good for you as well. Because God is at work. And you're still in the same process, whether you have a lot or you have little. Verse 12. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. And afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who believe Him. We have to believe that God's blessing and future rewards will outweigh with what we have to endure. I know in trials... It's kind of like, you know, when you, when you get an ache or pain. All your focus is on that, you know, that one splinter that's in your finger or, or that leg or whatever. And your whole body, you know, it's just focus on, on that one thing. And God's telling you, say, that the, the way that we can go through these trials is that you've got to continue to keep your eyes on the horizon. This is just Temporary. This is just, this is, that's the, in the present, in the moment. But, but listen, folks, there's something good. There's something wonderful out there. It's important that we keep our eyes on the horizon. We just dwell upon what the, what the trial is. We get wrapped up in, and it'll bring us down. We can be defeated by this. I heard this, the story about a, it's a true story uh, about a small town in Maine. It's about the late 1940s. A, a town actually called Flagstaff. And there's actually a, a, a lake now called Flagstaff Lake. So as a small town in Maine disappeared under the waves when a utility company built a dam. Three years earlier, a utility representative went to each resident to say the dam was going up and water would fill the whole area. Well, buy your property, the utility uh, person said, and you can live here for free until you have to move at the end of those three years. A year after the notices went out, a writer revisited what had been his hometown. It was now a hamlet with an expiration date. And many of the residents hadn't moved yet, but he saw a remarkable change. What was once a small, tiny town was now dilapidated, and dirty. Who would repair a fence that was going to be demolished? Who, who would paint their house? Maybe even mow their yard? Who would try to get along with neighbors that, were, that they were never going to see again? Then he, then he penned this incredible summary of this. He said this. But there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the presence. I think that's a powerful statement for us. When there's no faith in the expectation at the horizon that there is a day when all the sorrows and trials will be gone. 
great hymn talks about when I shall see him and all life is over and I'll stand before him and I'll say I will I will consider it worth it all endurance and hope or faith are inseparable twins you know you can't we can't lose our hope I say, well, the world and the things are going on, and I hear the news, and now, my goodness, and it just, and I get, so what is happening? Listen. Stop it. This is just a moment and a, a twinkling of an eye of eternity. Whereas we are faithful in this moment, we, we stand tall for Jesus Christ. We continue his purpose of getting the gospel out. Jesus told us that there's a coming flood of evil and wrath. We are to endure as we have a bright future. Yes, at the end, one of the greatest persecution of believers happened. The weed is getting ready to be separated from the weeds. But listen, in the midst of the world's greatest harvest of souls, there is a, excuse me, in the midst of it, there is the world's greatest harvest of souls turning to God that takes place. Through this sifting, this fire, and this turning, there is a, a shining, uh, bright light of believers who stand tall for Jesus Christ. So we get to choose, and we'll be a church that will endure until Jesus comes, until He takes us home. Let's desire to ask God help us to endure what we are going through personally, what we may go through in the future. Would you bow your heads in prayer, please? Heavenly Father, you are the sovereign God who rules over all. There is nothing that happens in this world that you're not aware of. You truly know it all. You know what happens to each of us. What happens to each of us must first pass through your gracious and loving grants. And when the trials of life begin to melt and perhaps we can see no way out your mind help us to trust in you. Sing your praises all the more. Father, we ask for your promise of wisdom to face each trial as you would want us to face, to experience. There are days when we struggle to make sense of the world, make sense of what is happening to us, to our family, friends. Father, help us remember that no matter what may come, you are always there with us and you are for us. In Jesus' precious name, the one who is willing to suffer in our place. Amen. Let's stand as we sing one more song that will just fit right in at the end of this sermon that we can sing as
as truth to what we just heard the book of James. If we can be help in any way, if you hear it, you do not know Jesus, you're not ready for his coming, please come see me. I'll be right here. If you have some trials that you're going through and you want prayer, I'd be glad to pray with you. Or go to somebody that you know that you, that you look up to and ask them to pray with you. Let's sing this great old hymn. It's almost like you've got to sing it in a, in a southern accent, but it's called Father Alone. We'll know all about it. Yeah.
up, my brother, live in the sunshine. We'll understand it all by and by. Go with God.